welcome to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. here with Stephen Russell. We're at Faith Builders um, up in Guys Mills, Pennsylvania. Um, you've written a book on non-resistance. You've been a teacher here for quite some time. You have a degree in church history. And there's, there's a, a doctrine of the Anabaptists that's probably one of the more famous ones, and it's non-resistance. Mm-hmm. Can you just, first of all, describe what do the Anabaptists mean when we use that term? Um, and just go into a little bit of that. So do you mean the early Anabaptists in the Reformation days? Yes. Okay. The word they actually used was, we are defenseless Christians. And uh, for them, the reason for using that particular word was all the other Christians were were connected to the state. And so Mm. if, uh, if, uh, if they found somebody who was heretical, they, they would judge them and then they'd hand them over to the state and the state would usually execute them. Wow. All right, so the Anabaptists made it very clear, we believe in discipleship, mm-hmm. but we uh, do not use the arm of the state. We don't use the sword. So we're defenseless Christians. We don't defend ourselves. And if somebody hmm. happens to have a, the wrong doctrinal view, they work with him, and if he, if he doesn't change, they may excommunicate him, but they will not use the sword. They are defenseless Christians. They, and they even tied together the concept of excommunication, mm-hmm. and they compared that with, yes, sometimes somebody needs to be disciplined uh, because mm-hmm. of his doctrine, but you don't kill them. So that was the key thing, mm-hmm. uh, because in, the, in uh, Reformation days, most people weren't drawn into the military. You came in on your own. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't as big a question then. It was more, um, do we use the state to discipline in the church? And no, we don't do that. And the whole reason was because of love. We mm-hmm. love our enemies. We don't, even if it's even mm-hmm. if it's a person in the church who falls away doctrinally and is corrupting, potentially corrupting the church, mm-hmm. the, um, they would say, we may have to expel him, but we expel him and we try to treat him in a way that he may come back. We want him to come back. Interesting. Okay, so basically, it's taking, it would be their interpretation of Jesus' teaching of love your enemies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my question is, where did this teaching come about? How did this happen? And, and specifically, where geographically did it originate? Ah, for, okay. for the Anabaptists. For the Anabaptists. Yeah. Okay. Well, the early church was non-resistant resistant, mm-hmm. and it lost it. And so what you have is the medieval church just before the Reformation. Everyone believed in the just war theory that you may have to defend yourself. Okay. And, um, and then a man named Erasmus published the Greek New Testament. And so everybody could look at the original source and see what Jesus said, what the apostles said. Hmm. And, they, and they saw in here that we were called to do something beyond what we were allowed to do in the Old Testament. Hmm. We were actually supposed to lay our lives down and we were supposed to love our enemies that hmm. way. One of the sources is Erasmus, the fact that he, hmm. he, he published the Greek New Testament and then they saw in the original source what Jesus called us to and what the, other, what the apostles called us to. And the, f- the first time that we actually hear them putting, putting this into practice, there's, there's two important times. One is Conrad Grebel is moving towards uh, adult baptism. Mm. And he's writing to some other reformers and he makes it clear that, that we're to lay down the sword. The sword doesn't belong to the Christian. Mm. The next place it comes out 
clearly. So that would be about 1524. 1527, the Anabaptists write the first uh, confession of faith that they have. It's called Schleitheim. Mm. And there they make it very clear. The Christian is to walk in the life of the mm. resurrection and he is to uh, live in the perfection of Christ and the sword is not part of the perfection of Christ. God, hmm. has, God has established the government to take care of those who are not walking in the perfection of Christ, and they have the sword. Yeah, so this, so, and you mentioned this at the beginning, but you're saying the early church did have the non-resistant teachings. Yes. They lost that, mm -hmm. and then around the time of the Reformation, you see this revival coming back. Because they're yeah. looking back at the original documents. They're uh -huh. looking at the New Testament, and they're looking at it in Greek, and there were at least some places in the Vulgate, which is the Latin Bible they mm. were using before that, there were some places there that were mistranslated. So I don't know that there were any about the old, about the uh, non-resistance. Mm -hmm. But for instance, the Vulgate said, Jesus, uh, when he started his ministry, said, mm. well, in the, in the Greek it says, repent and uh, be baptized. Mm. And in the um, Vulgate it says, do penance. And you know that's interesting. Okay, so, so it had a little bit of a flavor uh, yeah, to it. Yeah, it had a little flavor that was mm -hmm. uh, definitely very Catholic, mm -hmm. and that was one of those things that startled people as they started reading the Greek New Testament. And I think it mm -hmm. made them more pay attention. So what are we being called to? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, I, coming I back to God's word, what yeah. does it actually say? I don't know that the Vulgate had any. Uh, mistranslations on the issue of non-resistance, mm -hmm. but the whole thing was people people realized that the church had slipped away hmm. from what was the original uh, call in the New Testament, and so they went back uh, mm -hmm. eagerly looking at what yeah. do we, what should we do, how should we live. So the question is then, what other perspectives did the church have on mm -hmm. violence, on war? And you've already kind of touched on that, but but where did those things come from? Yeah, well, the early Christians were both non-resistant and they also uh, were not willing to participate in government. And oh, I could okay. go into this really extensively, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think we would have mm -hmm. enough time. Mm -hmm. And, and um, as, as Con the first emperor came along who called himself a Christian, Constantine, mm -hmm. started a gradual moving together of church and state. And probably the most important person for shifting the, the church away from non-resistance and non-participation mm -hmm. in the state is St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. Late 300s, early 400s, he is the person who takes a pagan writing. The pagans knew that war is not good. Interesting. And so there's okay. a, but they had to do it. Mm -hmm. So Cicero, a pagan around uh, 50 BC, wrote a theory of, ju of just war. And it had lots mm. and lots of restraints. Augustine takes that and he, and he and these restraints are, if you're going to have a war, they're good. You know, it's, for instance, don't harm non-combatants. And, mm -hmm. and so you go after the other soldiers, but don't harm old men, women, children. Mm -hmm. And don't destroy livelihoods. Don't destroy farms, etc. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of things it said. And, it, and um, Augustine added to it ideas to make it Christian. So we, if mm. we have to fight, we have to do it in love. So continuing on with that, you have you, so around the 400s, you have these ideas developing. Where does it go from Two that? things happen there. Okay. Augustine uh, says that we, we have to defend the order, the social order. So at least sometimes uh -huh. we have to defend. Uh -huh. it's, it is a, it's meant to be defensive. It's uh -huh. meant to be defensive. This, it doesn't work out that way, but that's what it's meant to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also, it, because of his change, it starts to make it look better 
if we actually are Christian and participate in the government. Now, let me tell you what they used to do. Um, up right up to Augustine's time, mm -hmm. as as more and more people became Christian, they start. Some of them, especially in the upper class, started to think the Roman Empire keeps chaos at bay. Mm -hmm. So, before I get baptized, I will serve the government either in the military or in in the government itself. And then, at a, maybe when I'm 30 or 40, I will withdraw and get baptized. Okay. And and this okay. But the original pattern was not participating. In the in the military mm -hmm. or the government, and but this is a big step in compromise, and then you, that doesn't last long. Sometime mm -hmm. soon after uh, Augustine's time, it becomes acceptable to be in the military and to be um, mm. and to and to be in the government. In fact, while the emperors were still pagan, they um, there's there there were some Christians in the army because sometimes some soldiers would hear the gospel and want to be baptized and they couldn't leave the army and the and the church worked with them and said if hmm. you promise not to kill we will baptize you but now if their if their commander said there's a there's a battle and you have to go and you refuse you would be executed so this is a wow. promise that you're and, and it's a promise that puts your life hmm. in the balance the church did that because it, this was a pastoral need. There were some soldiers mm -hmm. who were turning to the Lord and couldn't get out of the military. But at the same time, when the a church did that, they also made it clear, this would be in the early 200s, they also made it clear, if you are in the government mm -hmm. you, and, you, and you have the a p potential of uh, judging a case that could be a capital case, you had to withdraw, at mm -hmm. least for that. But mm -hmm. those people could leave. They could they could leave government. So essentially, mm -hmm. the church was saying, "We don't want you in the government or in the or in the uh, military." Augustine is saying, "Well, but we have to to keep things um, functioning well, to keep the world functioning well." And then mm -hmm. eventually, it becomes just the norm. Mm -hmm. However, during the whole of the mi Middle Ages, Christians still knew. I'm just using that word as people in the church. Mm -hmm. They still knew that this wasn't really what God wanted. Mm -hmm. And so that during the Middle Ages, the church developed books that told priests how to deal with people that came to them in confession about, I was in the military. And, um, and so that it, was, it was accepted, but mm -hmm. they still knew it's not quite right. And so there were mm -hmm. rules. Did the man know that he had stabbed someone, let's say? Did he know if he had died? And did he, if he was an archer, then he didn't know if he hit anyone. Mm -hmm. and, and so there are a whole different set of rules depending on how well you were aware wow. of if you had actually killed someone or not. But they recognized there was something in them that said, mm -hmm. they heard the Gospels and they knew this isn't really the best. So even though the church was allowing it and accepting the just mm -hmm. war, people were still not at ease. But there was one more development. As Christianity and Islam came into contact with, the, with each other, Islam affected Christianity, and Islam, with its jihad and its holy war, mm. it, it affected the Christians. And it's about a hundred years after Islam comes on the scene that we have the first crusade. The first—it wasn't called a crusade. That's that's years later. But the, we have the first time that the church tried to force people to become Christians militarily. Mm -hmm. Then a few um, a few hundred years later, we have the first actual crusade to go conquer the land that where Jesus lived, where mm -hmm. the Muslims had taken over. So now 
you, it's, you get grace if you go and fight for God. That's the crusade. Well, that, that's a totally different that, tone going on there. Totally. Yeah. And it comes from Islam. Yeah. It comes from Islam. It's, it's like it's, it's very reactionary to yes. something. Yes. So this goes on. So you're saying the, these teachings started coming around the 400s. This goes on for quite some time mm-hmm. um, until around the Reformation time, I, I guess. Yes. And, and it, well, the Crusades are a little bit before the Reformation. Mm-hmm. And then in the Reformation, as people are looking at the scriptures and asking themselves, mm-hmm. where has the church made a mistake? People recognize that there are things that aren't quite what they should be. Yeah. They, they started seeing things like we, um, for, from our perspective, and I think from the biblical perspective, biblical perspective people are called to follow jesus and then they ask to be baptized not you baptize them as children that was a big thing but then they also noticed other things like um should we be involved with the sword whether Mm -hmm. it's the state or whether it's the military and and so that that uh, that Mm -hmm. is rediscovered in the uh, reformation considering the many different views at the time especially the strong connection that the church was having with the state in the reformation days. yeah in the reformation days why do you think the anabaptists took such a strong stance on that and and how did that how did that go for them basically well they felt that so much had been added and that's the problem in the church and they wanted to get back to the original they wanted to be more biblical now uh, and so that's what motivated them. But I think there was another thing, and that was they were motivated to preach the gospel in a way that nobody else was mm. because everybody was baptized as a child. So all you need is to educate them. Help, yeah. You know, you don't have to call them to faith. Mm-hmm. The, the Lutherans baptized children, the Anglicans baptized children, the um, Reformed or the Calvinists baptized children, so did the Catholics. The Anabaptists said, no, each one has to make his decision. And then, so what they were mm. calling you to is a vision that God has, uh, that every, we, mm. all ha- we all have a need and we all have to, that's mm. answered in Jesus, but this actually changes you and it makes you a person who's about mm. love, just like God's about love. So mm. it, it was an attempt to be biblical and it was an attempt to uh, preach the gospel. And as you preach the mm. gospel, you start to realize this is about loving your enemy more than loving yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think it was uh, both the recognition of God as love and uh, the recognition that the scriptures themselves make this clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you heard that uh, we, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they would read these things and, and they wanted to be as biblical as possible, but then they also saw their call to, to evangelize as being most effective. Well, it meant they ought to be lovers rather than people that defended themselves or hated others. Hmm, yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. And they were very willing to say, this is important enough. We're yep. going to really take a stand here. Yep. Now we're shifting a little more to current day, but I guess you can answer this from the Reformation perspective as well. But are the Anabaptists unique in their commitment to peace and nonviolence? Uh, and then how does, how does their approach differ from other denominations? I guess I'm thinking of, you know, you have Bonhoeffer, Quakers, different people who, mm-hmm. who had peaceful, um, yeah, just an- answer some of that. How okay. does that how, what, what are the differences there? Um, the Anabaptists were the main group in the Reformation that mm-hmm. saw the need to um, be defenseless. That's the word they used. Okay. Okay. And hmm. then the, there may have been a few others, but that they're, they're the key. Now, there was a group among the Anabaptists who picked up the sword, the Munsterites. Mm-hmm. They felt that um, the time had come to, to stop being slaughtered like sheep. <laughs> and so they picked the sword up. It was a very um, sad uh, um, event. 
And it was only a small group of Anabaptists, but most of them were non-resistant then. There have been other mm -hmm. Christians throughout history who have been non-resistant. Mm -hmm. Ever since the Reformation, many Christians look to the scriptures and try to shape their lives according to that. Mm -hmm. In the United States, um, there were the, um, re uh, the uh, re Restorationist Christians and the um, Pentecostal Christians, oh. both of whom mm -hmm. looked at the scriptures and at the beginning turned, te uh, tended to be non-resistant. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't uh, some. It wasn't a. I, I would say it wasn't well thought out. I think the Anabaptists did a better job of thinking mm -hmm. about it and how it's really uh, a core aspect of being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so they saw it there, but um, they have lost it. Also, there are many Christians who would call themselves pacifists, and I would make a difference between a pacifist and a um, non-resistant Christian. Um, a, now, somebody might call himself a pacifist and actually mean somebody who will lay his life down rather than defend mm -hmm. himself. But often there have been Christians who see that war is not good and they prefer to try to avoid it. And so they often start passive, pacifistic um, organizations. Mm -hmm. But historically, when this happened before, before the Civil War, there were a lot of pacifist organizations, but the Civil War was for a good, a good reason. Oh. So they, so you have Quakers going into the military to free the slaves. Hmm. World War Two, a uh, World War One, the same thing. There were a lot of pacifistic organizations, and just before the war, they were trying to get together and and call for peace. But once the war started, um, many of those people said, "This is a this is a, a war, and justice is on our side, and so we should fight it." Wow. So. The people that I'm thinking of as pacifists, yes, they see the evil of war, mm -hmm. but they can at times be drawn into war. The non-resistant person is one who will not even defend himself. He sees mm -hmm. the image of God in the other person, and rather than destroy that or damage it, he will let that person, if he wants to be my enemy, he will let that person kill him, but he won't. Uh, and pacifists often do not, will not go hmm. down that path. They wouldn't be quite that extreme or extreme or... Uh, yeah, they wouldn't be that yeah, thorough. That th yeah, yeah, thorough is a much better yeah. word. Yeah. And then there's this other thing that's mm. happening today. Uh, a lot of just war theory people are recognizing that with the kinds of weapons we have, mm -hmm. nuclear weapons and things, <laughs> and, and, and uh, biological and chemical weapons, mm -hmm. that war may hurt a lot more people than it used to. And so there mm -hmm. are people who still believe in the just war theory but are becoming very reticent about war. Mm -hmm. Really, we can hardly go to war. Now, that's not, that's not non-resistance. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that people that have a, a Christian outlook tend to resist going to war. Uh, many times they do, uh, but often feel like they have to. Right now, uh, a lot of people are seeing this is really something we should avoid. And I think we Anabaptists have a moment where we can be talking to our friends and helping them see the biblical, mm. the godly approach, they're starting to question, can we really have a just war? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think we need to understand our own position and, and start helping our friends, whether they're Baptists or whatever they are, to see that this is really very scriptural and it's, it's what God wants from us. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience.
minutes, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.